Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek Super League football. I'm Peter Thompson here with Ari Budovasis and Lambro Sirmos. Lambro, welcome back. We have, uh, unfortunately, we were supposed to have the Greek Cup final today, but that won't be happening. Um, we'll get into that more later. If, uh, if the game were, be, were going on today, then uh, the players would be warming up as we're recording this, but some concerns with COVID-19 have rendered it postponed. Anyway, we are going to fill in with some discussion about the Greek Cup postponement, how the situation has got kind of messy, and we'll also talk about some transfer rumors, as there are always some of those going on right now. A few things before we get into the meat of the podcast. We have Steven Koduru from Hellas Football coming and joining in next weekend for our episode seven, it will be. We're really excited for that one, and it's going to be a great discussion about Olympiakos. We have a new sponsor as well. Adi, do you have anything to say about that? That should get wrapped up before the midweek series. We're excited about this. This is going to help us get access to some more next-level, next-generation player data. And we'll, you'll hear more about the new sponsor, definitely midweek series. Yeah, crazy that we have a sponsor, by the way. Did not, did not ever think that would be uh, something that would be happening, but um, we're very excited about that. And talking more about that midweek series, uh, next week we'll be going over the Greek national team a little bit uh, with international break and the UEFA Nations League coming up next weekend. We figured it would be a good time. Obviously, a lot of our listeners have some connection to Greece or the national team, and we got a lot of comments on social media asking about it. So we figured we would devote an entire episode to the national team on Wednesday because we're doing an episode about that as a short. We won't be talking about it much today, but stay tuned for episode six, where we'll be talking all about it. In the meantime, Lambro, how about getting us started off with some transfer rumors? Yeah, guys, there's been a lot of transfer rumors um, coming out this week. Um, I guess the place to begin is the one that seems like a lock. Right now we're hearing that Pepe Rodriguez is set to sign with the club from Guimarães. The fee is around 4 million euros, and he could be in Athens on Monday or Tuesday. Going on to something that's just opened up this, this weekend, I want to say, Olympiacos sounds like they're interested in Jan Mvia, the 30-year-old French international defensive midfielder. And the rumors we've heard from France about this is that Matthew Valbuena, former French international as well, talked to him about Olympiacos. There's other rumors too that Francois Modeste and Christian Carambou also spoke with him. Finally, um, Zaidou, our top target for left back who've been hearing about for the last two weeks, has signed with Porto. That was a deal that was kind of up in the air. Um, I know a lot of fans wanted him, but it just didn't come through. So with that, Olympiakos looks like they've set to return to Miguel Trauco, um, someone we've discussed pretty thoroughly on the podcast. So what's been reported is that Trauco has said to his agent, get the deal done, get me to Olympiakos. Well, we'll see if that happens, but he looks like the number one left back replacement now with Zaidu being out. Next, we reportedly have Gary Rodriguez coming in. Um, if you guys remember, he was the former Cape Verdean international, I believe, of Pauk. He's been spending time in the Middle East as well as in Turkey. He could be making way to us on loan from Fenerbahce, or he, he was not on loan at Fenerbahce. He's at loan on Fenerbahce from Al Saad, but he would switch his loan. It's a bit confusing. Also, out of the air today, this, this morning, Sunday, we heard reports from Turkey that Galatasaray are making an inquiry into Costas Fortunis. 
you never know with Turkish media, whether that's true, whether that's faulty, we'll see. Next, another rumor that we've been hearing a lot for the midfield is Tiago Silva of New Nottingham Forest, um, who of course is owned, uh, the team is owned by Vagelis uh, Marinakis. That's a deal that may happen. It's been in the air. Uh, we're gonna have to see what's going on with that. Now talking about a player who's left Olympiacos, Peter, you got some news on that? Yeah, thanks Lambro for the transfer updates. And we'll get into a couple of those players that seem uh, a bit more likely to enter the club later today. But we do have some news on something that's just about official with a player leaving, and that is Guillerme. We talked on a previous episode about the importance of Guillerme, so obviously it's sad to see him go. It looks like he will be heading to Al Saad in the Qatar First Division. He will be getting a new contract that looks like three-year deal with three million dollar or three million euro wages per year, with up to four million in bonuses. Guillerme has already left Athens. He's in Qatar right now, and this was sort of a mechanism to try and get the deal done, even with the Greek Cup coming up. He obviously, having left the club right before what was supposed to be a very big game, obviously not the best way for him to leave and kind of a messy situation overall. And his goodbye message to the fans via Instagram didn't really help that much either. He was honest about the way things le left, but it really didn't seem that sincere and it really didn't seem like he was that sad to leave the club, in my opinion. Yeah, I saw a spectrum of different reactions to Guillermo's goodbye. There were some that thought it was a good goodbye, some that weren't sure how they felt, and a lot that were very disappointed and upset at the message. Personally, I didn't get the best feeling after that goodbye. It was an honest goodbye, I'll give him that. But it made the club look way better than it made Guillerme looked. You know, it's not like the Podence goodbye. After that, you know, we all looked at it, we listened to it, or read it rather, and we were pretty satisfied, you know. We knew that he was going to move on, and he did it in a respectable manner. Guillerme is doing it in a manner that, to me, I don't want to say it's not respectable, but it's just not something that is satisfactory to me, and I think that's fair to say. Because, you know, he was honest that he was chasing the money, honest that we're not getting the money that we should be getting. But I think it's okay for people not to be a, a happy with this goodbye. Yeah, I'd also like to add, um, it's a strange situation. The club uh, hasn't announced that he's currently left. There hasn't been an agreement exactly with Al Saad. His message and Al Saad essentially posting on their social medias that Guillermo's in. Qatar are kind of a way to get a lower fee and it's just so it leaves a bitter taste in our mouth like if you're a true player of our team um, and you love the club you wouldn't fly out to Qatar before you really needed to and before the deal was even done it's it's just a disrespect for the team and for what we've given to Guillerme this was a guy who was about to go down to the Spanish second division go back to Brazil his European football could have been done if, without us coming in and essentially helping him out and and going back to him leaving sort of abruptly, if you go to his goodbye message on Instagram, he says, I urge the club to accept my desire to leave and not participate in the cup final in order to continue my career in another club, while the financial proposal that Olympiacos has to accept was not in any way satisfactory. And I get once again, like you said, Adi, that he's being honest, but you just don't really need to say that when you're saying goodbye to the fans. That's sort of what this is for. As we talked about earlier, 
when Podence, for example, gave his little message, and I know it's just social media and it's, it's kind of meaningless in the, the grand scheme of things, but it's nice to see that the players really valued their time at the club. Podence, for example, Olympiacos was a massive stepping stone for him. Now he's in the Premier League, and that, that's one of his dreams for a long time. Guillerme, obviously this is a big move for him as well because this is going to help him support his family, and that's, that's good for him that he's going to get a nice contract out of that, but... He really didn't seem thankful for his time at Olympiacos, and he could have left that out if he wanted to. Yeah, and the reaction, um, as I said, the most of the reaction that I saw from the fans was just utter disgust, and fans are really mad, and I think there's a sense that Guillerme is not the last one who's going to do this to us. I think people have heard a lot of rumors about Ruben Semedo. And like I, I saw a comment Ruben Smedo made under the post, congratulations, my friend, or something like this. And like loads of Olympiacos fans were like, leave with him. We know you want the money to leave. And it's just, it's getting kind of ugly when things like that happen, when people are accused players of being mercenaries. It's, it's worrisome, I would say. Well, in a previous podcast, we addressed that soccer players, you know, they have a limited shelf life when it comes to playing. They're going to, they need to collect the money while they can. You know, and Guillermo, we knew, you know, Lambro, you said, uh, I think two podcasts ago, that Guillermo was looking for that final contract. Well, $3 million a season with bonuses to get up to $4 million a season, that's that final contract. Three years, they're set for life. You know, that's what he's looking for. And understandably, we're not saying that he didn't contribute a lot for us, right? Guillermo did a lot for this club. There's a reason that it's so hurtful to see him go because such a huge piece, such an important piece of our team, you know, especially in Europe, is now leaving. And it's just the terms with which he's leaving that is so upsetting, you know, because not only, you know, we've had, we've had players go, you know, to the Middle East and play in the Arab leagues in China, for example, we've sold players like that before, you know, but he was privy and part of the shady dealing of it. You know, he allowed the Arabs to tell him, Hey, come here and help us push this deal through and we'll pay you more money. You know, he was a part of that. The beginning, he said that there were quarantine, there were, there were issues with quarantine that meant he had to lead I'm sorry, that's bullshit. There was absolutely nothing that kept him from leaving. May, you know, maybe because the start of the season, but there's no restrictions in the Qatari Stars League for when for when transfers can come in, when they can enter. You know, I briefly read through some of their regulations, and there was nothing to me that indicated that he wouldn't have been allowed to play. He wanted to go. He was trying to help push this through, and that's what's so upsetting. You know, if he had waited you know even even if he pushed the transfer through and we didn't get as much money which we know he he admitted we're not we're going to get way less than what he's worth we should easily be getting 10 million for him even at 29 years old he's worth way more than the reported 5 million we're probably going to end up getting you know but even if we had gotten that even if he pushed it through in greece you know it wouldn't have had a bad taste to it you know even if he acknowledged more what the club did for him you know, there's a way to be honest and it's like respectable, but this this just didn't make me feel good. In fact, it made me feel like Olympiacos and Marinaki did more for his career and they were doing more to help him with his career than he was doing to help the team. It's just not satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's the fear with the other players, you know, like Ruben Semedo that fans have. Like, will they do the same? Who you know, knows? and this, 
this is a perfect time to kind of address, um, you know, and again, thank you at Greg underscore Thomas for bringing this question to light. You know, we have players that do this. Um, we, we see a lot of players that will will have for maybe a year, year and a half, Podenza, and they're gone. Or in this case, you know, we got most of our players from the beginning of not last season, but the previous season, Mari Kamara. You know, Guillerme was one as well. Two seasons, and now some of them look like they're going. Why can't our club keep a team together as long as other teams in Europe? Well, we addressed this in another podcast, you know, it's and it's unfortunate. But our club has a selling club model. Marinaki, since he took over, said he was going to make the club self-sufficient so that it didn't require a billionaire owner to buy it and make it run again. He has made a club that has a, you know, in Greece especially, has the healthiest business model, but also one of the healthiest business models in Europe. You know, there's a reason that port the Portuguese teams have always been the way they are. They're, you know, decades and decades of producing and selling players have allowed them to not only be seen by the rest of Europe as a country that develops talent, but it also is a very consistent form of income for all those teams. And it's how they're able to purchase a lot of players. It's how they're able to build teams that even can compete in Europe. You know, like it or not, guys, we're, we are a selling club. We are a stepping stone for a lot of these players coming in. Again, you know, Olympiacos is my favorite club. I think it's the biggest club in the world. But we are not in a market like England. We're not in a market like Spain. You heard uh, Luis when we did the interview with him in, in the second podcast. Trauco wants to come to Greece because he believes that's his, that's his doorway into a top five league. Now, if he doesn't get into a top five league, he'll probably stay in Greece if he's doing well. That's how a lot of these players are thinking. Unless you are a Greek, like Fortunis, for example, you're probably not sticking with the club for very long. We saw the same with Torosidis, even Avram Papadopoulos. You know, non-Greek players are not going to stick with, with us forever. And I think even Fortunis, uh, I don't know if he said this outright, but I think if a big Premier League club came in for him, he might not be opposed to making that move just because it might be more money or bigger competitions, you know, and of course, if you're like, obviously Chimikas going to Liverpool, you know, I would like to see him get more playing time. That's another issue that he's behind Andy Robertson out there, but it is also Liverpool. They just won the Champions League. They just won the Premier League. And for him to be part of that, it's obviously very attractive as well. Yeah. And I guess one thing, the model that we want to have is players will use us as a stepping stone or even come to our club maybe is not their first choice. But we need to get players that we get a big fee for and that we can build around for. You know what I mean? Like Guillerme, for example, is not a player who, of course, he helped the team. But all the players we bring in, I guess we want to look to sell on or just have a small impact like, or like have a big impact as veterans like Valbuena. I think Guillerme, when he came in, was seen as like someone we sell on in his prime. And that's kind of the most like bad taste I have from this deal is just like he's a player in his prime who he could go on to do big things and he's just not. And he we could have gotten a big fee for him. Look at what he's done in Europe. That AC Milan game was so important, that goal he scored. Um, it's just disappointing, I would say. It is, uh, and I don't, I don't disagree. Now, the one thing that the club can do, you know, 
The only thing we really have a lot of control over that we can do around this is to go and get more young players, try and continue to develop players and build on that cohesion. We've done a pretty good job so far, especially with Martins doing this. He seems to be pretty good at identifying what he wants. Almost every player that he's picked up and that he's identified as somebody that he thinks could be good for the club has been good for this club. Think about from two years ago, the disaster that we had to come back from after that season with Hazi, the, the Albanian coach that absolutely destroyed this team. Martins has identified a lot of talent. Some that didn't work, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying everything was a hit, but he's been identifying players here and there that can you know, uh, work as, as pieces in this machine that he's built. And he's been pretty good at identifying people that can be replacements as well. We have to see, of course, how the rest of this season goes, but I think that we're going to be okay moving forward. It just sucks the manner with which this was done. Yeah, and just one thing, I don't want to make it sound so spoiled. I was uh, actually watching some old cup, um, cup games just like to get excited for the game today. And there was a lineup against Aris that was like Oscar Cardoza, Manthatis, Ali Sissoko, and I was just thinking to myself, like, looking at that team, how many players would get into our team now? And it's no one. It's no one. This team has made leaps and bounds in the last four to five years. And it's not even that 2017-2018 team that was really bad. It was the teams before them. Like, Manuel da Costa was a mainstay in the team. Alberto Botia. These guys don't even tie the shoelaces of Chimicas or Cisse or Semedo. It's, it's something to give perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it, it sucks now, but I, I really think the team is going to be okay moving forward. We're going to, I know later in the podcast, identify and, and analyze some talent that is supposed to be brought in to replace Guillerme. But Lambro, since you brought up some memories of Greek Cup, I think it's a perfect time for us to kind of dive into the whole situation surrounding the Greek Cup right now. As everybody now knows, the Kipolo has been postponed. Yesterday, Maxi Lovera tested positive for COVID. And immediately after that happened, every social media platform was rife with conspiracy theories. <laughs> that, you know, all stemming from the fact that Maxi doesn't actually have COVID. That this whole thing is this grand conspiracy from Mighty Nikes. Now, here are my two favorites. The first was that because the pitch was terrible, which yes, we all know it was, that Mighty Nikes did this because he didn't want you know, to risk hurting his players. Now, the one, of course, that is just makes me laugh the most is that Marinakis was afraid that Ike was too strong for Libyakos. <laughs> Given the restrictions that are happening, Ike, Ike was the clear favorite to win this Kipelo, guys. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know who made that up, but that's, that's absolutely hysterical. Yeah, that, that one is just the worst to me. Like, we literally played Ike five weeks ago and smashed them 3-0, I want to say. And just our history with Ike, how many times have we won 4-5-0 against Ike? It's, yeah. I, Ike is, okay, Ike is a big team. They've beat us in the past. Um, like, as I think I remember that one game where they won 2-1, they came back with that Yakumaki school, and it was whatever. That was a poor Olympiakos, and we know it. But recently, it just seems like Ike is an easier team to play, especially at home for us. And 
I don't think there's any fear of that Ike team, especially without their new signings. Mm-hmm. Well, this season, we've played them four times, I believe. Four times so far. And we've beaten them three times. And I think we drew once. So what exactly are we scared about? And yeah, you know what? Maybe we did lose a couple pieces. But it's not like I kept all their pieces either. Exactly, yeah. You know, and yes, the pieces we lost are two fullbacks, you know, Simicas, Omar, now Guillerme. But I'm sorry, even the subs on our bench, Cafu, 35-year-old Torosivis, <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I, even 19-year-old Martinez, that's more than enough to handle Ike. I'm sorry. We were the clear favorites going into this team. Our bench could probably still compete with Ike. That the that second conspiracy theory is absurd. Now, the the broader, uh, I guess I should say the really the broader implication of this, which a lot of people, uh, including some Olympiacos fans, seem to believe, is that because Maxi Lovera doesn't speak any English or any Greek, he has no idea this is happening and that he's just a patsy because he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening. He's not going to pay attention. Guys, his family, you don't think his family is paying attention to what happens? You don't think his family would be calling him when they find out? You don't think in his home country that people are going to be like, oh, my God, one of our one of our future talents and prospects has COVID? Come on now. Come on, guys. We're not that insulated. No, Adi, he's too busy on, he's trying to recruit Messi to come to the club, his fellow Argentinian. <laughs> so he actually is completely off the grid and would not find out at all. But another reason that I think this stuff is kind of silly is because right now, Olympiacos are about to start competing in European competitions. And obviously, this is a in the time of coronavirus, these competitions are a bit risky because you've got travel back and forth from all these different countries. And it's a bit different from domestic competitions where you're staying inside Greece and things are a little bit more controlled. So obviously UEFA has to put really harsh restrictions down. If a player tests positive for the coronavirus within I think it's six days of a European fixture, that club is not allowed to play at all. So if you think about the dangerous impact that Maxi Lovera testing positive and actually having coronavirus would have on those competitions, it's, it's pretty dangerous. And obviously our European game is not immediately happening, so there would hopefully be some time for things to cool down, but the threat of that happening and also with Semedo and Solakis already having tested positive, I don't think it would be the right time to be making up positive coronavirus tests at the moment anyway. Yeah, and guys, to be honest with you, our players, Josas uh, Fortunis, Pujalakis, Masuras, are set to go out on international duty. I don't think that's going to happen now. But I, I'll, I'll say this, even before Lovera, I wouldn't have sent any of our players on international duty. I would have had them locked down. Like, we cannot, the amount of money we risk losing if we're knocked out of Champions League for a coronavirus test is crazy. I And... Olympiacos comes first to me. It's behind. It's be. It's before the, before the national team. And so, I would rather we protect our players and keep them safe than risk them going to a foreign country and getting coronavirus and us losing our Champions League spot. And it's a shame as well because, for example, Fortunis was set to make his to his return to Greece in the national team for I think the first time in a while, having recovered from his injury, yeah. and obviously, 
that's not going to happen now with the positive test. But as you say, Lambro, yeah, it's, it's hard for the club to say, don't go out on international duty to the players. I don't know what the standard is for that. I don't know if any other teams have done that. But in the sense of putting the club first, it would be a very risky decision to have these players go out. I think we have two Nations League fixtures. So that's two countries that we are playing. I don't know which ones are in Greece and which ones are away, but either way, you've either got another country coming in or you're going somewhere else. So yeah, it is so very risky, just, just like the European games, but also when you take into account the fact that the national teams have players coming from all over the place into one area and then going somewhere else altogether. Yeah, and just to touch on that, I think Greece are playing both games away, one in Kosovo, one in Slovenia, I want to say. We're going to do our homework on that before we do an episode on the Greek national team, but I think they're both away. It's just, it's an unnecessary risk for the club, and I... I, I just, I don't know. I would, even even the foreign players I know, probably Mari Kamara, Papisise, want to go out on international duty. But God, we, we got to keep them in Greece, I think. For me, if it were, if this were the real qualifiers, you know, may I would be more likely to consider. But these are Nations League guys. These are glorified friendlies that have like some small consequence now. This is not something I want to gamble with for, for basically, you know, what is a friendly with some sprinkles on top. No, thank you. And secondly, we're seeing in Europe, the COVID cases are starting to go up in a lot of countries. I'm sorry. I would be locking those leagues down and just keeping everybody in there. I wouldn't be doing the international breaks personally. But anyway, you know, that's, that's kind of besides the point, you know. It is what it is, you know. Fortunately, I think in the end we're getting, uh, you know, a better outcome for Olympiacos. Our players aren't going to go on international break. You know, at least the Greeks are. Hopefully the other international players aren't either. And we just kind of keep everybody together. We're bought another basically two weeks, a little bit more than two weeks, to kind of buffer between our most recent COVID case with Maxi and then hopefully no more future ones. That gives us another, you know, couple of weeks between that and what would be, you know, our round of qualifying. Yeah, and I don't want to hang on this subject for too long. We have other things to talk about. But one thing that's crazy is that they're having this international break right in between the qualifiers. For example, Pauk, their players, they have a significant amount of players in the Greek national team are just going to go away for for a week, 10 days, they, they really, these qualifiers are so important for them. I, it's just, it's a mind-boggling decision to me. And if I was Pauk, for example, I'd say none of our players are going on international duty. We're preparing for Champions League. If you could even do that, I think you can do that. I'm not sure, but it's what I would do. Well, we wouldn't really be discussing this this much if the EPO didn't screw up just to begin with. This, I yeah. still blame this whole thing on them, uh, even though this really, you know, we would still kind of be talking about this even if Greek Cup wasn't happening. But the whole issue is exacerbated because the EPO were morons, you know, and just kind of for the listeners maybe that are just tuning in or people that didn't listen to the first rants about the, the EPO, who we is the Hellenic Football Federation. We call it the EPO because in Greek, it's, you know, EPO, Elenico Potosferico Organismo for the Greek football organization. That's who we're referring to. Uh, when we say that, but for again to catch everybody up, when the whole Gipolo issue started post COVID, the cup was supposed to happen July 25th. It was supposed to be held at Rizupoli, which, as Lambro discussed in a previous podcast, is near Nea Philadelphia, which is basically Ike HQ. 
the police prior to the event did a sweep of the area, found all sorts of nonsense. Bats, Lombardo, I believe you said Molotov cocktails, yep. um, brass knuckles. Clearly there was violence that was about to happen here. It was going to be an absolute, absolute terrible event. So the police said, absolutely not. You can't have it here. So what does the EPO do after first making this horrible decision to even have it here in the first place? They then take almost two weeks to decide where they're going to have the Kipalo. They wait. Yeah. They wait almost two weeks. You know, I think it was actually like nine, almost nine or ten days, actually. And I remember, not to cut you off, I remember Olibiaco sent a letter the day after our game with Ike to end the league saying, we want the cup game at Owaka. That would be fine with us. Let's do it. And they yes. waited for so long. And then two weeks later, they were like, oh, we're going to do it at Owaka, but it's going to be in August. Right. And now it, it doesn't, it gets worse. It gets even worse because think about it. So at the time they finally said, no, we're doing it there, right? They had about four weeks. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they hadn't considered it. Finally, they made the decision first week of August, you know, they're, they're going to actually do it there. So they had about four weeks to prepare the field for it. And then all of a sudden, this past week, we're start, we see pictures of the Yipa, though, when the teams are finally allowed to start practicing, and there's patches, dirt, and it looks like a mat was laid down somewhere. I mean, this is a disgrace. This is an absolute disgrace. You had four weeks to do something, you know? And I know it was a little bit rainy in Greece. I know that they had some rain in Athens, but that was two days. There was no excuse for this. There's absolutely no excuse. You've had six weeks to, to do something. First of all, for making a dumb decision to have it in a field that isn't even a top flight field right now in, 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 our, in, in the, the territory of one of the teams actually playing the Kipalo, and then, and then to have this problem, it's absolutely absurd. I, I, I wish I could be in those meetings just to see what they're talking about. Because it, this, this doesn't make absolute, any sense to me at all. And it's not just Olympiakos who've been discussing the field. I don't know if you guys have saw, seen this, but Ike and Panathinaikos have come together and written a letter to the people who manage the stadium. Because as we know, Ike and Panathinaikos play their regular season games there and were like, the field is a disgrace. What have you done? It, it's, it's not, it's not going to be ready for the season. Things need to be done. It's, it's just a mess. It, it's a mess. And... And I, I don't know if you guys have followed, but Panathinaikos played a friendly on the field, and it was so bad. It, it was so bad. I, I, I urge our listeners to go look at the pictures of the field. It's, it's in terrible condition. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's, abs it's so stupid. Now, as we kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, they, they're postponing the game. It looks like September 12th. And they're moving the game back to Rizupoli. <laughs> so we're going back to the stadium we had the problem with. We're going to end up probably now with the violence that the police already talked about. Because apparently it's too difficult for us to have it at any other stadium. You know, I, I, I'm giving up at this point. Now, we did have some social media interactions. Some people were asking us why we're not using Ike's new stadium. That new stadium, even when it was on schedule, wasn't going to be ready till March of 2021. But with COVID delays and cost overruns, it probably won't even be ready till next summer. 
So that's not, that's not even an option for us. And additionally, you mentioned that the game is now set to be taking place on September 12th. For those who are familiar with what the Super League schedule was supposed to be, that is, in fact, the weekend when Greek teams were supposed to start playing their next domestic campaign. As a result of the Kipero final, which obviously includes only two of the teams in the Super League, but basically it seems like they're being forced to push back the entire Super League schedule because of this game, because it took them this long to just get it anywhere. And now the entire 2021 Super League season is being affected by this when it could have easily been avoided and they could have just had it much earlier, had the field prepared, picked a better place for it, so on and so forth. And I don't want to stick on this and rant too hard, but there was no plan for a player testing positive for coronavirus. How many players are in the match squad? How many staff are in the match squads of both teams? And you didn't think it's possible someone would test positive for coronavirus and have a rainy day plan perfectly ready to go. It, it's, I don't, it just blows my mind, the incompetence. You have to have a backup plan. You have to have a backup plan. There's not. They were now like, okay, we've, we'll go back to the new stadium. Let's look for a date. Let's look for the date, September 12th. They should have had the stadium know which stadium would be the rainy day stadium. They should have known the date perfectly when to do it. And to just have this basically happen last night, news was breaking last night, EPO was trying to figure it out, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Very Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um... And we also talked about in the Greek Cup preview, which is honestly now futile because there's no game, but we talked about how FIFA had to step in and basically make the decision that none of the new signings can play. On top of that, the EPO tried to keep not even really new signings, but Olympiakos players who were already at the club and had signed a new contract. This being Avram Papadopoulos, Vasilis Torosidis, and Hassan who I think was technically on loan, but is now, you know, officially an Olympiacos player. Now they were included in the squad. Obviously the club released their, I think, 23 man match squad the day before, before we knew that this would be happening. But EPO was trying to get those three players from playing. And we talked about how thin we are at fullback. They were trying to keep Toto Cities from playing. And he is basically the only true fullback on the team right now. Yeah, this whole thing, this whole thing is unimaginable. But then I remember it's Greece. And of course, only in Greece can something like this happen. And the EPO has proven time and time again, they're probably one of the most useless organizations and probably one of the worst organizations to run any football league anywhere. It's just, yeah, to, to build on that, I don't know if you guys read, Coach Martins came out with comments after he walked the field and basically said to reporters, he said, the cup final is supposed to be a celebration of the football in the country that it's held. It's supposed to be coming together. And even during these coronavirus times, he said along the lines, look at the FA Cup in England, you know, the banners they have on the seats with the, with the trophies and everything. Greece couldn't even do that. Okay, that's expected. But the field to be in an unplayable condition, it's just, it's, it's just an, yeah, exactly. It's an insult, not to the teams, but to Greek football, which you know, we're, as a community, we're trying to make better. It's just an insult. And it, and the players talk about this stuff. The players talk about this stuff. We need to be, we need to say that. And they're going to tell people who are going to come to Greece, oh yeah, the, the matches are delayed. Things get messed up. The fields aren't even ready for a cup final. It's just so embarrassing. And it's going to hurt the, the brand even further than this. Exactly. 
one of the things that we talked about for this podcast is we would love to see non-Greek people supporting Greek football, aside from, you know, myself. We would love to see people who aren't watching Greek football because they grew up in Greece or they have family in Greece watching it. If there were to be a game today, which, of course, if it weren't for Lovera testing positive, there would be a game today. People who aren't Greek and aren't familiar with Greek football would tune in and their first stimulus of Greek football would be, this pitch is just an absolute piece of shit. And this game was supposed to be two months ago and it's been postponed. What is the deal with Greek football? That is what people who are not familiar with the sport who might be trying to tune in and watch are going to say the first time that they see this game. And that's an absolute shame. Like Lambro said, if you, the Greek Cup is supposed to be a celebration of Greek football. That's theoretically the two best teams in Greece in the final playing each other after a season long of this entire tournament style competition. And it's all culminating to just an absolute mess because of the way the EPO has handled it. This could have been maybe an opportunity for some people to tune in and watch the game. Like, I don't think there are that many other football matches today. Maybe someone who's just looking to watch some football would throw on the Greek Cup. Now, if it were to be played, people would look at it and say, this is trash. This field is horrible. This looks like a, a seventh division in England pitch. This is, this is a joke. These players can't be that good, blah, blah, blah. It just makes it, it just puts a really bad reputation. And like you said, Mambro, the players probably are really upset about this as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, it's more, it just gets more and more upsetting, more and more frustrating. You know, I know in a previous podcast, I wanted, I, I wanted to play it because I want the double. At this point, I'd rather them just cancel it. I'd rather them just be done. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of fans saying that and, I, I so it's so hard for me to say cancel it, but one, this is not 2019, 2020 Olympiacos or Ike. These aren't the teams we played with for the whole season. It just makes no sense to it. It, it means nothing. It, it's going to have an asterisk next to it, but whatever happens, it's just. Uh. Part of me honestly expects the game to end up getting canceled anyway. <laughs> like, something will happen in two weeks and then they'll say, oh, we can't move it back any further. We have to cancel it. So like, I, I'm honestly not very, it's, now that it's been postponed, I'm not nearly as invested as I was 24 hours ago before this news broke because to me, it just seems they've been pushing it back forever. And now it's in literally in the next season and the players still won't be allowed to play. Everything is just going crazy. Who knows what else will pop up in two weeks? Like, it seems like, yeah, it's just an asterisk and who even cares almost. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I just, I, I think the teams don't care now because the teams have more important things, let's be honest. We spoke about the Greek coefficient in Europe uh, just the past episode. We need those points and that's what Greek teams are going to be focused on. And teams are going to be focused on just coming I guess, bringing in their new players, right? In this this competition, you can't play your new players. Olympiacos and Ike need to basically bring their new players in and get them ready for these Champions League and Europa League games, you know? They're not going to leave them out anymore and say, oh, we need to practice with this team for the cup final. I think they're just done with the Greek final. I'm going to be honest. They'll send out a team. They'll say, okay, that team's going to do it. That's it. Yeah, I kind of 
and I do. I really hope that's the case because, like you said, we need to get our new players in. We need to get everybody gelling and prepared for the next season. And speaking of new players, we mentioned earlier we were going to be discussing, you know, the replacements, the possible replacements for Guillerme. The individual that, of course, is all the buzz right now is Pepe, or Pedro Rodriguez is his name. Now, this player is very, very interesting to me. Now, of course, you know, when Guillerme announced that he was leaving and all this stuff was going on, I didn't think there was a replacement for him. I was super worried. We've already discussed in, I believe it was the second podcast, or no, sorry, the third podcast, uh, how important Guillerme was. You know, all the things he did with this team, the role that he filled with this team. And the Greek media is kind of touting this this kid, Pepe, as a Guillerme replacement. And I'm very interested in him, but not because I believe he's a direct replacement to Guillerme. There's some very interesting metrics for Pepe. He definitely looks like he can play the six role, but he looks like he's way more effective as an eight. Now, for those who don't remember, didn't listen to the discussion about Guillerme, a number six uh, and a number eight, they're numbers that kind of indicate a type of midfield role. A number six is a holding midfielder. This guy's a little bit more defensive, does have technical ability. He's a bit of a ball winner, has to be very astute for positioning purposes. But an eight is a playmaker, usually box to box, just like Madi, you can think of Madi. He's a pretty much a prototypical eight, kind of does everything. Pepe, from the stats from this past year for Gimeras, I hope I said that right. I'll just say Vittoria, just so I know I'm not mispronouncing that. But his metrics for last season are pretty good. You know, uh, you know, five goals, three assists in 29 starts. Not too shabby, but this kid shoots a lot. He loves to get forward with the ball. He definitely, if we're comparing his metrics to Guillerme, when Guillermo was with us and before Guillermo came to us, that season before when he was with his team in Spain, this guy carries the ball forward, you know, more than Guillermo. He touches the ball when he is occupying that center mid role, that eight role, he touches the ball a lot. He loves to get on the ball, loves to distribute. I don't think this kid is an actual replacement for Guillermo, even though he definitely looks like he can play the DM role, even play it pretty effectively in terms of pressures uh, and interceptions, very similarly to Guillerme. But I think statistically, he looks like a better product, a better prospect coming to us than Guillerme did when Guillerme came to us. So I'm really liking Pepe as, as a prospect. The, there's, there are a couple of downsides to him though. His pass accuracy isn't Guillerme's, probably because he takes more risk downfield with longer passes. And he doesn't switch the ball as much as Guillerme, which was one really cool thing for us, or and was really good for us, was that Guillerme switched the ball almost immediately, which was very helpful. Yeah, and I'll say one thing about Pepe. Um, as we know, um, Coach Martins was at, uh, what is it, Victoria Guimaraes. I put it on my Portuguese accent there. Um, so maybe he has some knowledge of the players, saw some, saw some clips of the players. From what I've read from Greek news is that he has been on the club's radar for over a year. I'd say almost a year and a half is what I read. And they finally found this was the time to bring him in. In December, I think they were they were really looking at him. But the pre-coronavirus price was near 8 to $9 million. So we're actually getting a deal on him. And another thing I would just like to mention um, about um, Pepe, of course, is that we have other midfielders who may be coming in, guys. So 
if he's not the direct Guillerme replacement, maybe that's Envia, maybe that's Tiago Silva of Nottingham Forest. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on that. Well, I'm glad you brought up Envia because Envia, to me, definitely looks to be more of the Guillerme replacement. Looking at his season with Saint Etienne, this is a guy that, you know, he, he does touch the ball a lot, but he's very much a short pass guy. You know, very much like Guillerme. Gets on the ball a lot, but distributes to the guy usually next to him. Even though we did see Guillerme kind of expanding or I say evolving a little bit as a player this year. And he was trying to do more downfield, trying to create more. But this guy's very similar to Guillerme. It just, you know, in the defensive metrics, you know, he's averaging about 16 pressures, 16.2 pressures a game. That's very close to Guillerme. Actually, it's a little better than Guillerme. And we all know that Guillerme was our enforcer like that. He was making all these pressures that led to interceptions. Villa is that guy for Saint Etienne. Now, there is context, of course. You know, especially in Greece, we're on the ball all the time. So Guillerme isn't going to be looking to win the ball as often because we were the team dominating possession. Saint Etienne isn't always the team dominating possession. In fact, more often than not, they're probably not dominating so Mvia has more work with them, but this is still something good for us to see. We like to see that this guy is pretty successful at pressures. He's very more successful than Guillermo with interceptions, and he has a higher success rate in pressures that lead to an interception. And I, I just want to build on Mvia a bit. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but the club was heavily linked to a guy, I believe his name was Fiorentina midfielder Brian Dabo, and he was a CDM and a lot of Olympiacos fans last summer were clamoring for that central defensive midfielder because we didn't really consider Guillermo so good on the ball you don't think of him as like a central defensive midfielder who slides in and wins the ball and distributes so Envia could be that guy you know who could come in and fill that role and he has a ton of experience in France experience in the national team at the national level it, it's a good signing on paper yeah, I was going to comment and just say that in addition to he seems to be a pretty good player right now, and he's not super old either, but he does seem like he would bring in a veteran presence. Obviously, he's played in the French national team with Valbuena. They know each other. Hopefully, he's a bit older than the rest of the team. He's 30 years old, not, you know, veteran, you know, super old level, but he hopefully would be able to provide some interesting veteran presence. And yeah, I, I agree that I definitely see him as more of that true defensive midfielder role. And Pepe seems like maybe he could play there if needed, but that might not be his best position. That might not be the best place to use him. And if we do end up losing Madi, uh, which I haven't heard anything about recently, but obviously he's a player that would be able to make it into other teams and other teams have looked at. If we do lose Madi, Pepe could come in and play that role, potentially. He likes to get forward. He likes to shoot. We've seen even just his simple counting stats. He's got a good number of goals and assists in Portugal. Yeah, and one thing, um, just building on Pepe, we're, we're, we're using that three-man midfield more and more. Maybe Martins adjusts the roles a little bit. He changes how Buhalakis plays or maybe how Maddie plays to fit in Pepe. That's something I could see too. So it'll be an interesting signing if it happens. Hopefully it happens because a young 23-year-old midfielder from Portugal yeah. who our team clearly wants and has wanted, 
this is a big upside. This is a Mari Camara upside player. This isn't a Guillerme coming in from a relegated Spanish team who we brought a flyer on. This is a player who we could sell for a lot of money if he blows up. Absolutely. And to speak to that, Lambro, there's two important statistics I want to read to you guys about that. And these statistics are, you know, for Pepe are way beyond what Guillerme did. So remember, I kind of discussed progressive distance in terms of meaningful dribbling with the ball towards mm -hmm. something, getting the ball, getting forward. Guillerme didn't do that. Guillerme's progressive distance was almost half of what Pepe's is. Pepe has a progressive distance and a total distance in terms of how he dribbles the ball of between 140, 110 to 145 yards in a game. So this means that he is taking the ball forward on average, you know, a football field, a football field, a game. That's a lot for an individual to dribble the ball. You don't usually see people carry the ball that much, that far forward, as, you know, unless it's on a, a long counter and they're by themselves. That's usually the only time that happens. Guillermo was half that. Guillermo wasn't really the type of player that would take the ball forward, try and make something happen. Madi's the guy that does that. And Pepe does this repeatedly. He has done this repeatedly for Guimaraes. Another, another very important, another very important metric for him is the, um, the, the key pass progressive distance for key passes. I brought this metric up with Zimikas because we were identifying why Zimikas was so effective in helping the offense. Again, Pepe has the most when he plays, when he starts for Guimaraes, he has the most, you know, progressive passes, progressive key passes that are, these are passes with purpose that are going toward the final third and have, and, and will lead to an opportunity. This is, to me, this is Mahdi. These are statistics we see of Mahdi in our team, you know? So that's why I'm excited about this player. Not because he's going, I think he could be a replacement for Guillerme, but because I see another Mahdi. And he's only 23 years old as well. Exactly. I think he's hopefully that uh, signing is announced by our next podcast on Wednesday. We'll see what happens, but it seems to me, and I don't want to jinx it, but it seems to me like that deal is reasonably close to getting done. With that being said, things are obviously going to look a bit different next year. Aside from the keepero, which is a special case because hey, it just might not get played and B we're going to be missing a lot of our new signings coming in. Do you guys see a potential change in tactics with a set of new players coming in? Obviously, our fullbacks are coming out. They're being replaced by Rafinha at the right and Jolebas slash to be determined at the left. We're losing Guillerme in the midfield, uh, potentially to be replaced by Envia. Pepe may also be coming in. There are a lot of moving parts. And also, obviously, with a fresh season, hopefully, especially if everyone gets cleared of coronavirus, we will have a relatively healthy team with Fortunis available to play, the wingers. How do you guys see the tactics going? The 4-3-3 was really successful towards the end of the season, especially post-lockdown. That was basically just what they rolled with. In a friendly, I believe we saw them line up in a three-at-the-back formation, but that may have just also been because of the lack of fullbacks in preparation for the Kipero. What do you guys think will happen next season with the tactics? So it's important for us to first kind of acknowledge how Martins is when it comes to formations. He's not the type of Portuguese coach that is stuck to that 4-2-3-1 double pivot. He doesn't have to do that. 
We've mm-hmm. seen this. He's he went he was four two three one when he first came to the team, and that first season that's primarily what we used. But right. last season it was four three three. Martins is going to use the formation that he can utilize his best players. Yeah. Now, so since we know that this is his habit and this is what he does, we then have to identify who our best players are after the exodus. So we've lost Omar, we've lost Zimikas, and now we've lost Guillermo. So assuming we lose nobody else, and assuming we bring in, let's say we bring in Pepe, we bring in Envia, we bring in Trauco, and we bring in uh, Gary Rodriguez, much to Lombro's dismay. Hmm. Assuming we bring those, guy in, those guys in, I think it's safe to say we will continue with the 4-3-3, because don't forget, in the midfield, we have some very interesting players coming in. We have Andruzos, who is getting a contract renewal, and it looks like he's going to be included with the team. We're, you know, we know that he can play kind of further up the pitch. He can play that 10 role, but he also can play, play deeper. We don't know how he's going to fit in. We haven't seen enough. Kafu brought in as a Mahdi replacement, but definitely is not Mahdi. He is not an eight. He's more of a six. You've seen him very briefly. You know, we don't know how as if he's going to be quite as effective as Guillerme was in that six if he starts, but at least he'll have competition. You know, healthy competition between him and Envia. And I think finally we'll have somebody that we can rest Mahdi for, Pepe. If we bring Pepe in, Mahdi can finally get a rest instead of playing literally almost every game for us or forcing us to go into a 4-2-3-1 because we don't have that creative midfielder. And don't forget about Costi. Of course, exactly. I cannot, uh, you know, very interesting, very young Cypriot player. Um, I don't think he's going to see a lot of playing time, at least in this first season, but I think yeah. he'll see some minutes. So just going off of tactics, I don't know. Um, I shared it with you guys a while ago, but Martins did a really good video interview with Mega, the Greek TV channel. It was almost like an hour long. It was near the end of the season, and it was just these two reporters asking him questions over and over. And he made a really interesting point about tactics. The reporters asked him, so do you have a preferred tactic? What is the go-to tactic for Olympiacos or for your teams? And he essentially said, I don't really have a preferred tactic. You've seen this season, I played 4-4-2. I, I enjoy 4-4-2, mm-hmm. but I don't have enough strikers. I determine my formation based on how I like my squad and where I see the most strengths are in my squad. So thinking of that, Again, we have two strikers, I'm, I'm assuming, going into the season, two mainstay strikers. We have a decent amount of wingers. We have a decent amount of midfielders. So I'm looking at 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 because, again, we have two Thames who could play there, Fortunis and Valbuena. So I think I'd, I'd see that. Personally, in Greece, I'm a big proponent of the 4-2-3-1 because I think you need that 10 to open up the, the defense. And I think Maddy sometimes just can't do that technically. He's not the best passer or he's he's really developed that but i don't think he's the passer of valbuena or fortunis to like really create something out of nothing so i'm a proponent of that but in europe i think 4-3-3 is so good and we've seen it it's so good i'd love to see it in europe some more yeah the uh the one issue and i think this is why he's probably a little bit more apprehensive to go back to the 4-2-3-1 you know fortunis we know has the talent to break these teams apart when we were in that 4-2-3-1, he was our leading goal scorer and leading the team in assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that first season when we also had Podence. He is affected. The problem is when Fortunis is cold, 
the 4231 flows through him it completely yeah. so if he's cold which we saw plenty of games like that especially in europe it's very frustrating especially when we don't have wingers that are very dynamic which Podenza in the first year wasn't super effective it wasn't until really this season where or the end of the season and then this season where he really blew up yeah and to just say Fortunis, yeah i remember when he got injured in july if you guys remember the season before he was so important and we really talked about that a lot. We were like, where's the production going to come? A 35-year-old Matthew Valbuena? Well, that's where the production came. But we were so relying on that 4-2-3-1 in the 10 and Fortuny's performing really well. It seems we, him being out helped the team overall. Cosas Fortunis isn't the only player who can create something or do something for the team, which is long-term has really helped the team, I believe. And don't forget, Maxi, Maxi Lovera is a 10 also. You know, yes. he's much more effective in that central role than he is as a winger. In yeah. fact, that is why we started playing that Christmas tree, the 4-3-2-1, where you had Maxi and Fortunis, or you had Fortunis and uh, Valbuena kind of sitting both as like dual tens almost, where they have the yeah. space to go wide, but, you know, they're, they're supposed to be staying more central. That, I think, was really cool, because uh, I don't think we really had a lot of, besides Masuras and Radajevic, but of course with his inconsistency, we didn't really have true relate wingers we can rely on. This yeah. year, you know, Radajevic finally seemed like he was coming into his own. We have Chumich, which we're all really excited for. And, you know, of course, Masura. So we actually have a nice rotation on that front. So I think, I mean, you know, we're going to be sticking with that 4-3-3 and then maybe pivot to that 4-3-2-1 depending on what's available and who's doing well. Uh, I don't think we're going to see us slink back into that 4-2-3-1 uh, for now. Yeah. Now, as far as, you know, kind of moving forward, um, who do you guys think is, are going to pick up the mantles that's kind of been left behind, you know, with Omar leaving and, you know, Omar gone, Simikas gone, and now Guillerme gone. Who do you think is going to pick up that mantle? Who are, who's going to be the leaders on the pitch? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, I can see certainly, obviously, Valbuena has a strong presence in the team. He seems to be very vocal and very influential on the way the team plays. And he even just leads by example oftentimes because of the type of player he is. Now, as he gets gets older, obviously, he's not going to always be on the pitch. It might be worth resting him now and then. And because of that, there might have to be some other players who step up and really have that leading influence. I wonder, obviously, in Greece, the Greek players oftentimes are sort of tasked with that you know, with Fortuny's captaining the, the team when he is fit, obviously he might be the one taking up that role as well. But it might be interesting to see some kind of unexpected players sort of develop into leadership roles with, with the club now that Guillerme and Omar and Chimikas are gone. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Peter. And I don't want to drop a really hot take here because we're approaching an hour and we probably want to wrap up. But I think Omar Lebdelawi was really overrated by Olympiacos fans. And I'm sorry to people who may be upset with that, but he wasn't the player I felt that he was the past two to three years. And I'm super excited to see Rafinha. 
I think Rafinha is a top caliber player. And I think he's played through it all. He's played Champions League. He's played in fiery atmospheres in Brazil. He's played in the German Championship. I think he could be a really surprising, exciting player. And I think he could really fill fill just the missing pieces of Guillermo and Omar. Absolutely. I think Rafinha is going to be more than enough for the Greek League. I think he's going to give us, at the very least, what we saw from Omar the last two years. You know, and I know we mentioned this, in the, especially in the first podcast, we haven't seen the best of Omar for two years, almost three years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, that Omar is kind of gone. Not to say that he wasn't effective this past season or even the season before, but we, we didn't get we didn't get that kind of playmaking or game-breaking ability from him that we saw in those seasons past with some of those runs and very key crosses. I definitely, I 100% agree with that. However, I will say, I think that is partially just because he played a lot of football, especially early on in the season. We really didn't have a replacement for him at right back until Gaspar came in. And Gaspar, between being injured and honestly not really being that good anyway, and also he was filling in on the left sometimes, he didn't even come and replace Omar a lot. Omar was playing so much football. When you take into account, we started the season in July with Champions League qualifiers, and he basically was playing two games a week, 90 minutes. And that might honestly as well contribute to why his season this year was just not as useful as the previous two seasons. And I think in, I remember the first leg against Arsenal, he had a pretty bad game. Obviously this was later on in the year. He he definitely was not, as remotely as creative, he wasn't the one, like Chimikas, just zipping down the flank and doing stuff and getting balls in the box. Like Omar wasn't really doing that to that degree. He definitely wasn't as effective this year. Uh, So Peter, what is that about an hour now? Should we wrap up the podcast? Yeah, I I don't know the time. I think this has been a long one. So it's probably a good time to wrap up. We did cover a lot. Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. We certainly went over a lot of things. Obviously, we're all very upset and passionate about the EPO, so we could talk about that forever. Um, But as we always say, thank you so much for your suggestions and interactions on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter. And thank you for listening, especially if you've made it this far. And I just want to close, everyone, we're super excited to get into the Greek national team because, you know, that's kind of the side hobby. We're Olympiacos all the time, but now we've got the Greek national team. We're going to pour over the players. We're going to look at stats and we're going to look at formations. We're excited to get into that as well. Absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to the Greek national team as well. And don't forget, guys, this coming Sunday, we have our guest, Stephen Kodoulou. And we may even have another announcement with another guest coming on after that as well. Uh, stay tuned and look out for that. Yeah, totally. That's going to be a great episode next Sunday and next Wednesday. It'll be sort of a different one where we'll talk about the Greek national team. And I'm really excited to see what the squad's going to look like. I wonder if they'll announce new players with the Olympiakos guys not being included. But it should be interesting. And even with sort of the way things are with the pandemic, I'm looking forward to see Greece in action for the first time in a very long time. That being said, we thank you all for listening and we will see you soon.